Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Happy March to you. Maybe for some of you, it's already spring. Probably not for a lot of us. So whatever, we'll forgive you. Um, But as always, uh, coming up on the show, a little preview for you. For our inbox, we have a guy who recently started dating a girl, but she just always wants to spend time with him. And he's like, do we need a little more structure to this? Uh, Should I be concerned? And I'm going to weigh in with some ideas for him. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Mark Bates is back with us to discuss really the topic of how to make transitions in life well. He's done a few, including one recently, and just really gives some good spiritual perspective to this, um, as well as uh, some great ideas for how to know when to move, when to not move, you know, how to make a decision, that kind of stuff. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And today for our roundtable, we're going to talk about kind of control in relationships and and really specifically because we have so many women who write in and they're like, to what level, you know, should I be exhibiting my strong personality and what do I do with biblical submission? And, you know, we've talked about that here on the show and the whole idea of like, you know, can women be too controlling and how do you talk about this in a relationship and beyond? And so, um, yeah, this is a good thing to discuss. So fortunately we have got Hannah and Gabriel and Lauren here. Hey y'all. Okay. Good to have you. Um, and just, you know, full disclosure, although you'll find this out, Hannah and Gabriel are married, newly married. That so, you know, Hannah is part of our team and mm-hmm. she decided to bring the hubster on um, to oh, talk yeah. about this. <laughs> and I said before we came down here, I said, wow, I'm just going to be interested to hear you talk about your controlling self. And she kind of laughed because <laughs> she's just so like amenable to so many things. Oh, so. I said, yeah, but you're going to be like passive aggressive about it. That's what's going to happen. So <laughs> we'll see what uh, what Gabriel has to say about that. But OK, well, let's start out because, again, biblical context and there's a lot of people that take this out of context. And this is not going to be some weird debate about egalitarianism <laughs> versus complementarianism. But we know that Genesis 3.16 says uh, that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, I need to just scratch that out of my Bible because that means that men in my life are going to be super domineering and abusive. And and sadly, many men have taken that position or way over um, broad brush this and and misapplied it um, for way too much license in this area. But um, let's go ahead and just generally let me throw out this idea of like, um, control in a relationship. And I don't even know that it has to be a male female thing. I think it's just, I'm a full on control freak. I feel like in every relationship I'm in, I feel some need for control. And so where do you guys land on that spectrum? Like how comfortable are you, um, in the, the whole give and take of, of control kind of stuff, whether personally or in a relationship with someone else? Yeah, I think in general, I don't see myself as a controlling person. I, I don't know if this is because I'm the youngest child, but I, I feel like I was born a follower. Like, I I don't know, someone presents an idea and I'm like, yeah, that's good. Let's do it. Um, but I think control in relationships, I think back to my time dating and just really wanting to be like, okay, I'm interested in this guy. Like, let's date. Let's call it official. And then maybe it was official. It's like, okay, let's <laughs> like get engaged. I don't know. I just like... Maybe that was me not trusting the sovereignty of God, but really had this like mindset of why can't I, why can't these things just be in a box and I can control them? Um, But yeah, 
I feel like outside of life, maybe I'm not much of a control freak. Maybe yeah. you could speak to that. No, I'm so like not wanting, <laughs> yeah. So not not wanting surprises, for example, or wanting to know where the guardrails are and where the path 100%. is going. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So a need to know kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, can I just know like when, like I remember asking God, like, can I just know like the day I'm going to get married, like in the year that I'm going to get married, can like God just tell me? But then I'm like, that no, that's totally not it's okay. good. There are online quizzes for that that will tell you the exact <laughs> Even date. Even Instagram so it's all filters. Good. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Good. Okay, Gabriel, how about you? Yeah, I don't think I um, am always so controlling. Um, but there are moments where I'm like, no, I want it done this way. I want these things done that way. So I would say that where my controlling nature can show up in a relationship can be in the, the particulars of life. Mm-hmm. Um I think of Hannah and I's relationship. We have about a 500 square foot apartment, right? And it's like, no, like I'm going to clean the, I'm going to put the dishes away in a particular way. This is how we need to take care of it, right? Or I want to sweep the floor this many times. It's an old apartment with an old wood floor, (laughs) right? And so it just collects all of this dust, right? And it's these little things um, that kind of creep in and tend to give a overarching tone of control. Um, even if some of the other things in life are, are less of a big deal, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, I, I think my experience is a little bit like Hannah's, but also like growing up a lot of my control, even in relationships kind of came out of this idea of like fear. Um, because I think I have like the survival, like a lot of women will have this survival technique of like, oh, we don't want to be abandoned and things like that. And so we'll kind of start to control, um, my, actually my, my husband, before we got married, he wanted to, um, propose to me for like the longest time. <laughs> it was like a couple of months, but I just was like refusing to tell him that I was ready because I was so like, just afraid of like losing any sense of control just because of like the different stereotypes I've heard of like, Oh, when you get married, you're going to like lose all your control and stuff like that. And so because of that fear, like, I think that's kind of followed through me in life. Um, but I'm getting better at it. So yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, it's, it's been like practically a 12 step program. In fact, I, I even said, you know, if I get married, I'm going to have to, hopefully I will have worked through some of this because I tend to be a pretty strong personality, but not, I'm also kind of a people pleaser. So it's a little bit cloaked. Um, but definitely I have an opinion on about 99% of things. Um, you know, so it is kind of weird. It's it's hard sometimes for me to step back. Like if someone's not going to step up and take control, then I will because I just can't stand the ambiguity. So mm-hmm. a lot of times it's me self-checking, you know, in order to do that. So so let's bring this generally to the table because we were talking a little bit before we started taping even about, you know, this idea of, especially in Christian circles and Christian dating and whatnot, there's just the general idea that like, leadership is a good thing. Like it's good for all of us. You know, we go to leadership training. We're trying to lead. We try to lead ourselves. Then we know we're going to have to lead others at some point. And when you bring it into a uh, male-female context, I think it gets messy because I think we all have assumptions and expectations around leadership, like in a relationship. But are, are they biblical? What are they grounded in? How do we take into account like situations and personalities and stuff like that. So what would you say are some of the the ways that you wrestle with concepts of leadership 
both for men and women and how you experience that? Well, I think I think that the um, the words that are used in the Bible to describe like leadership and being a helper and submission, kind of like that dynamic between the two people, um, the way that we translate it in our culture makes it sound like a certain way that isn't actually what it means. Because um, this is actually something that I struggled with for a long time was the idea of like being a helper and like letting my husband lead and like what exactly does that mean? And um, I realized that the word for helper actually comes from the Hebrew word um, ezer, which is one of the words that is also used um, to describe Jesus Christ as like a lifesaver. And so when we think of this like dynamic between um, like women and men together, it's not that we're supposed to just like be, you know, underneath our our husbands and like submission in a way to just like bow down to every single thing that happens but um since we're we're supposed to be like lifesavers and life's life givers it's kind of like an invitation more to like invite them to come and like lead into our lives and so that really helped me to think of it in a different way of like it's not that my husband is just going to be the leader no matter what I want is that I can actually invite him to come be that leader Mm -hmm. um, in my life which is really awesome and is like a really awesome thing for my own life um, for me to have as a role Mm -hmm. so that's good yeah I would agree I think I had to at least kind of unwrap those biblical meanings of leader and helper and kind of be like okay but what does this really mean Um, and I think my first assumption or definition of submission was like I'm going to support everything Gabriel my husband like decides all the time and although that's true like whatever decision is made like I need to get behind and be for the team not just for myself like it I feel like it even came out in funny things like he would be like okay what do you think about this Ikea table And I'd be like, I don't care. I like everything. And he's like, no, but I want your input. I want your opinion. It will help me make a better decision as I have to like lead in whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was really a moment for me of like, oh, submission is not just this blind like, okay, I will follow wherever. It's this like team effort of okay, we can like discuss this and then I can trust you to lead and make the best decision and take that, I guess, that calling that God has given to you as a husband, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's one thing for me too, is I like work to make decisions about what Ikea table or how to set up the living room, right? These little things. Um, as you get married and move into an apartment, all the decisions have to get made, right? But how do you make a decision well to benefit the team? Right. I can say, well, I want the TV here. I want the couch here. I want to have my set the alarm at this time versus your whatever time you want. But that doesn't take into consideration her preferences. At the same time, she has to be willing to share those preferences so that we can come to the best conclusion um, and the best outcome for both of us. Yeah. 
I think it's it's too often when we take the idea of leadership as it applies like in a corporate setting, you know, where we think of people commanding a lot of people or yeah. having certain personality qualities and stuff. But if we look biblically at it, it's like every time leadership is described, it's described as e- either a servant pursuit or a sacrificial pursuit or something that's always putting the good of other people above your own good and taking into account uh, you know, that person, if in, if any of you, um, you know, want to be great in the kingdom of God, he's going to have to be the servant of all and, uh, you know, and, and other verses similar to that. And so I think it's it's hard for us with that framework of what the culture gives us to separate that, because I think, I, I mean, and I think first off, leadership and, and control and all that begins with ourselves and for that person to have the character and the resolve and the maturity to lead them their own self against their own will is a leviathan task i mean that's a <laughs> that's something that you know the the holy spirit has to help us with and the um you know the the character and the maturity that comes from you know sticking close to christ uh, will come from and i think a lot of people think oh, I'm, I have leadership qualities because I'm super smart and I can make good decisions or I can make quick decisions or I can, but I always say, that's great, but where are you in loving others and in being that person who is going to have the, the character of seeing others and knowing what's good for others? Because um, that's when true leaders can emerge and, and actually do some good. So, but sometimes hard to find that in, you know, or how, or even discover that in ourselves in some ways. So, okay. How would you guys say like, this could be a very awkward conversation to bring up, like when you start dating someone, because you don't want to sit down over coffee and on date number two, be like, please tell me your thoughts on leadership in a relationship. <laughs> Because that could get, you know, super sketchy. Someone might just be like, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. Or they're going to give you a whole dissertation on, you know, their particular um, views on it. But what would you say, you know, maybe Gabriel and Hannah, you can talk about how you guys work that out in your own relationship, having the conversation around the way things would look. Yeah, a lot of it for us was situational. We saw how, um, and I would say maybe even interacting with each other's families while we were dating, we learned the most about each other because there were moments where uh, I went down to Texas and visited Hannah's family and I kind of wanted her to really share her opinions or like, hey, how do we, how should I interact with your family? What are kind of the social cues that I should be looking for? Um, just as one example and kind of vice versa, when she came up to Michigan and visited my family, there was um, a lot of that too. Um, how do I interact with your family best? And so looking for those cues in that scenario, um, I think really, really benefited us. Um, looking to make decisions together on things, right? So what's the date that you're going to go on? Are you going to go on a hike? Great. How do you choose what hike you go on, right? Kind of reading into how that person makes that decision, mm-hmm. right? Do they just send you a text and say, this is what we are doing? Mm-hmm. Or do they give you a couple of options or do they let you make the decision entirely yourself? Um, yeah. And so that was something um, that even we figured out since being here or whatever it is. So. Well, and again, and Hannah, I want you to respond, you know, give your own thoughts on that. But it just makes me think of a guy I knew who was dating a friend of mine. And for her birthday, he's like, we're going to go out to sushi. And 
I think that was him trying to be decisive and trying to be like, I'm coming up with a plan, but she hates sushi. And it's like they had been in conversations where she felt like she'd alluded to the fact that she didn't like sushi. And so it was just kind of one of those misses of like, okay, this is where you need to back up and again, reframe, like not that his intentions weren't good and stuff, but he was so, he really likes sushi. <laughs> so I think he was just like, who wouldn't like sushi? It was a great night for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was all over it and stuff, but her birthday ended up being less than stellar because that's what they did and he never bothered to ask. So yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think it's even noticing like nuances in while you're dating of like, okay, how do they handle decisions? I know he was um, looking for a job when we were dating. And so the way that he would discuss it, the way that he would think about all the different things, um, like where he would move or what the job would look like. Um, And then even how he would react if he didn't get the job Mm -hmm. or if he got another interview, it kind of showed me where he was at, I guess, on the like control scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, even little things like if we would... I don't know, go on a date to like a restaurant and it would be too crowded or it'd be closed. Like, are, does he just like totally go crazy that his plans got mm-hmm. canceled or is it like, oh, well, the place next door looks great. We can do that. And so I think those little signs for dating in me were really good of like, oh, he's a really good decision maker, but he loves input and I really value that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, even going off of that, I feel like you guys were talking about like observing each other's actions, and I feel like that's super important, but also um, observing like the way that people act when there's like a trial that comes into your life, Mm. I think is also really important, especially in dating, you know, there's going to be arguments that come up, there's going to be like tragedy that can happen in your life or really hard times um, when Michael and I, Michael's my husband, um, when we were engaged, then um, we, I had just moved up here to Colorado Springs and he didn't have a job yet. And we were trying to find an apartment and we were going to be getting married in like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, everything was really crazy. And it was just kind of a trial in our life because he was dealing with the fact that he didn't have a job yet. And yet he was going to become this, you know, leader to our family but he handled it so well and just like trusting the Lord. And that gave me just so much more confidence in the man that I was going to marry because his leadership was that, you know, he didn't try to take control. You know, he was he was um, like encouraging to me and everything and just didn't really let it get to him. So yeah. just observing that as well, like really helps. That's good. So kind of finally here, I mean, I think that whenever we talk about this subject, like the elephant in the room is... Okay, but why? I I think we all have this picture in our head of the crazy, controlling, catty woman, and then the guy who's just like passive and doesn't take the lead on anything and whatever. And we tend to universally hate both of those characters. (laughs) So if we feel like people can trend towards that and we don't like it, and some people do that in dating and some people just are that way, what would you say, what's your advice for people to just do self-checks on either end of that spectrum of just how do I ensure that I'm checking my own heart, that I'm not trying to take control, whatever gender I am, and or that I'm not just sitting back and being the passive person who's either abdicated, you know, any kind of responsibility or control whatsoever, um, but that we really can approach things more from a team mindset. When you have to make a decision and you're kind of looking at outcomes, what are your emotions as a result of not getting, of getting something you don't want, right? So what is the result? What is your emotion as a response of not getting 
something that you do want, right? I want this restaurant to be open. You have this friend who took uh, went on a date with his girlfriend or wife to go get sushi, right? What if that restaurant would have been closed? What would how would he have handled that control? Would he have been angry, mad, sad? Like, what's the what's the reaction to that? Um, so I think you can learn a lot from someone based on that as a as a self check. You know, I have this job interview. I have whatever it is coming up. Uh, there's a good outcome or a bad outcome. Um, how how am I setting myself up for success um, in anticipating the outcome? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say for the person who may trend toward being too controlling, um, like my first thought is like, how am I being selfless? How am I serving the other person? Um, Because control for me stems out of selfishness. I don't know if it's the same for other people, but that would be my first thought of how am I serving the other person and really listening to what they want rather than just trudging through like a snowplow. I don't know. It snowed today. That's why I thought of that. But, and then, uh, my thought for the person who maybe feels or trends toward being super passive is like, how does the other person know that I care about them and their needs and what they care about? So back to our restaurant example, if someone really cares about something and me just being passive and sitting back like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We can do something else. I don't know, just like standing up and fighting for maybe what they care about. Again, going back to serving and not just sitting back and taking the lazy option or the lazy route. Mm -hmm. The best piece of advice that I've ever gotten in my life was that we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, when it comes to like viewing someone else as controlling or ourselves as like not controlling or controlling or whatever it is, we tend to just view it from the surface and not try to actually see what that person's intentions are. And so I think it's very important to try to see what's going on in their head behind that. You know, if it seems like my husband is being passive, like, why is that? Is he, you know, I may think to myself, oh, he's just being lazy, you know, or something like that. But it, it may actually be the fact that, you know, he feels like he doesn't have what it takes or he feels like he's failing in a certain area, and so he's backing away, which is causing me to then feel like, well, I need to control in order to like make sure that this happens because I need to save our relationship. But then we're just taking that. I, like, I, If I were to do that to my husband, then I would be just taking that even more from him and saying, no, you don't have what it takes, so let me go ahead and do that for you. And then that just kind of like keeps it going. So we have to really like have communication and look into, you know, what's your intentions? What's actually going on on the inside? And, you know, how can we use communication to work through that together? Maybe I need to affirm him that he does have what it takes and that we can, you know, get through this together. So Yeah. And it just seems like so much of this could be solved through honest conversations. Like mm-hmm. so much of it is born out yeah. of expectations that people are making assumptions about people, not willing to bring it up. And then the other person is like, why are they stonewalling me? You know, and, mm-hmm. and it really is just like, yeah, if you just honestly say to your husband, like, I would really love it if in this type of circumstance you did this, you know, he'd probably be like, oh, cool. That's good to know. You know, I mean, and then it would be, I mean, I think so, again, the whole intention thing, we, if we really love the Lord and are walking by the spirit, you know, you would think that that would inform us. And I was just thinking, as you were talking, Lauren, about a a guy who'd asked me out a few times and I went out with him and, and thinking of how, you know, again, self-control and discipline. I mean, this guy was like a 
P90X beast and just, you know, his entire day was on this regimen and he was super successful at work and stuff. But his his whole life was kind of about him. I mean, no wonder he had so many structures and so much discipline because he just like managed himself really well. But then he kind of like just wanted to manage everyone else too, you know? So that whole, that's where I just come back to the whole concept of love and where does this person lay their life down for others and how do they, how do they adjust in that and where are they putting others first and obviously um, God ultimately first. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in that and looking for that and being that. So you guys, thanks so much for weighing in on this. It's a good, good conversation and much food for thought for all of us to ponder. So thanks again. folks well we are here for this week's culture segment and you know him if you listen regularly to the show because he's been on before he is my former pastor mark bates i'm trying not to hold that against him but he's doing great work now in what his current role is mark welcome to the boundless show Hey, great, Lisa. Thanks for having me. And I'll always count myself as your friend and pastor. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I was thinking of that as I was walking over here. I was like, just because you're not doing a specifically pastoral role, it doesn't mean you never stop being a pastor. That's right. Okay, it's like president of the U.S. They still have to call him Mr. Yeah. President. And stuff. Yes, you can okay. call me Mr. President. I will. That, okay, that, that sounds, okay. sounds good. Um, well, for those of you who don't remember from the last time Mark was on, he is currently the Senior Director of U.S. Operations for Mission to the World, which is the mission arm or effort of the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, But he also founded a church uh, back in the 90s. He was a church planter, and then he pastored a pretty large church out here in Colorado Springs, still lives here. Uh, His wife is my friend as well. And so we've used him. In fact, jokingly, I said, hey, do you want to come and talk about something like relatively normal and not like Satan and whatever else we bring him in for um, and have in the past. So I think you were pretty amenable to that. Hopefully, you know, we won't have to funnel any crit away from you, you know, this time or any crazy like, why are we just talking about the devil? No, (laughs) that didn't happen. But we do want to talk about life transitions Mm -hmm. today because you have been through several. And I mean, I think I don't feel like you've, or maybe we'll find this out, 
they've been a bunch of things where it's been stuff snatched out of your hands, but sure. definitely just guidance and wisdom and figuring out transitions in life that mm -hmm. have included geography as well as job changes, as well as obviously just life transitions with kids growing up mm -hmm. and moving away and all that. And so um, I feel like our average listener is leaning in because uh, it can be very angsty for a young adult to mm -hmm. feel like if I don't have my whole next two decades mapped out, is this even worth it? I mean, it's kind of like a very fearful place to be because we love it when we're told to just go through 12 years of school and then probably go to college. But then after that, we enter the black hole of, mm -hmm. am I going to get a job? Am I going to like my job? What's this going to look like? So give us a little overview, Mark, of just kind of generally, what have been some of the biggest transitions in life that you've had to make, just so that we have a picture of kind of yeah. where you've been? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, life is, is full of transitions, and some you know are coming, and some you don't, and even the ones you think you know may not. So, uh, for me, obviously, getting married was a big transition. Um, you know, first job out of out of seminary uh, was, you know, transitioning from the from school to the workplace that was huge. Then uh, going from, I was a youth pastor, then went to becoming a church planter, which is a very different role. And uh, and so that was a big transition. And then uh, after being there for 16 years, we moved to Colorado Springs. So I was a geographic transition and a job transition, a different church, different culture. Things are very different uh, in, in many ways. So those are all big transitions. And of course, leaving uh, being a pastor to working with a missions organization, another big transition as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk about, let's, let's back up and, and talk about the time where you did um, plant a church because mm -hmm. you were relatively young then. Yes. And so, I mean, it's not, it's not many young adults that want to say like, Hey, let me do something that has like absolutely no stability and, <laughs> you know, just kind of like wing it and hope that mm -hmm. it works and see who comes along with me. Um, what were some of the biggest considerations going into that? Would you say? Uh well, I think if I knew then what I know now, I would have been mm -hmm. terrified. But fortunately, yeah. I did not know what I was doing, which was actually helpful. Yeah. And uh, so, so it is. It's a transition. Anytime you start a new venture, there's the chance that it will not work. Not, you know, a lot of church plants don't get off the ground. And even those that do struggle for a long, long time, and they get to be very, very exhausting. So you're going in knowing that you know, even if you are convinced the Lord has led you to this, that doesn't mean the Lord has led you to successfully accomplish whatever that is. And so uh, those are certainly things that we had to consider. Okay. So I want to back up even further and ask you, like back in high school or maybe like the start of college, because I feel like this is when you perhaps had a lot of assumptions about, mm -hmm. you know, where, where most of us do, how life's going to go. And I know that you have been, you know, when I've known you in circles, pretty candid about how your college experience went. <laughs> so I'm so sorry I'm springing this on you because I'm going to make you tell on yourself. But uh -huh. what were your quote unquote plans? Like, what did you think you were going to do? Was it something yeah. normal that everyone else was expecting as well? Or were you just kind of like, woo, whatever? <laughs> no, <I was> more <laughs> woo, <laughs> whatever. Okay, tell us about that. Because yeah. I think people hear seminary and they're like, oh, this guy's all straight laced. He knew exactly yeah. what he was going to do. No, I was totally clueless. But okay. first of all, when I went to uh, to college, had no idea what I was doing. I just it was just the next thing, and so I showed up at first at Georgia Tech, and uh, 
never went to class. And some people say that as an exaggeration. I mean that quite literally. And so uh, I think you're the only person that went to Georgia Tech that never went to class. You have to be. I mean, I know Georgia Tech people. They don't seem like the type. Yeah, okay. yeah. That and that's why I didn't last very long. Okay. So, um, okay. so I was not there. And so I, I really had no clue, uh, didn't know what I was doing. And also, I don't think I even knew you know, my direction in life was this. I didn't know what I was living for. I was a Christian, uh, so I wasn't doing anything particularly immoral, uh, but I didn't really have that sense of mission, sense of purpose, and I felt like as long as I wasn't doing anything bad, I was okay, and that was about, that was my baseline. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, I mean, how did plans change? I mean, clearly mm-hmm. you ended up switching colleges, mm-hmm. but then a what, where, <laughs> where, was there like a light bulb moment or was it kind of just opportunities or doors that you saw open? Yeah. So the light bulb moment was when I was at University of Alabama after being at Georgia Tech and did the exact same thing. And uh, reading in Colossians, talking about whatever you do in word or do you do it all to the glory of the Lord? And I started thinking, huh, I wonder if that applies to like being a student. You know, I because again, I had a definition of sin as doing bad things. Mm-hmm. I did not have a definition of not living your whole life to the glory of God. And so after, you know, a year and a half of, of doing nothing with my life, reading that verse, realizing that I was supposed to be living my whole life to the glory of God. And so it was a huge moment. I, I was praying and I, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to study. I don't know how to work. <laughs> you know, I've never done this in my life. Help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did feel a sense that God was calling me to, to ministry, so that's when I changed schools, and uh, my life was radically different from that point on. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your move out west, mm-hmm. because, I mean, at that point, you were, you know, a, a let's just say, by the world standards, a, a big fish in your pond, having planted this church, and now mm-hmm. you were more established and mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, I only half-jokingly say here on the show that anyone who's grown up in the South, when they come out West, it's either considered a missions trip, or <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do my time and then return to the motherland or whatever. Yes. But you had to make that decision. And I think, I mean, call me crazy if I have this wrong, but I even told John when he was prepping this, I said, I think Mark said one time in a sermon, like this idea of being about 80% sure <laughs> and not feeling like, because so many people apply that, when, mm-hmm. whether it's to marriage, whether it's to yes. career things, they have to have every question answered everything has to be and as a result they just stay put and they're paralyzed and so talk to us about the freedom to know about 80 percent of what you should know and the Mm. confidence of that and then trusting god with the rest yeah and and 80 you know my my wife says i told her i was 90 percent sure but i think it was i doubt i was 90 (laughs) percent sure uh is you know part of it's you don't know what's going to happen and you can't have all the data and we want all the facts we want to know what's going to happen if i do this but we we don't in fact you don't even know what's going to happen if you don't make a change Mm -hmm. you have no idea what's going to happen and so for for us coming out here one of the things i had to evaluate was one is motive you know why are we making a change um you know even though you, I'm Southern, we were living in Orlando, and I know geographically it's the South, but it is not the South. You'd already made a step, so, so that was so, helpful. Yeah, yeah, we, think, we, yeah. we got out of the Southern culture a little bit there. Yeah. And, um, but there was certainly risk involved, and I, I think we were looking for this sense of certainty that God's going to write something on the sky and say, this is what you ought to do. Uh, but walking by faith is not meaning I'm going to wait and see till God tells me with 100% clarity what I'm going to do. I'm going to, walking by faith means I'm going to evaluate the evidence, but I'm going to trust God in the midst of this, that I'm going to follow him, trusting that I'm following him with a, as pure motives as I can evaluate. But as Larry Crabb would say, entering the darkness, 
They're going into the darkness and trusting that God is going to be with me. And so I think in any decision we make, there is risk involved. And the question is, are you going to trust God in the midst of that risk? Mm -hmm. So what do you do, Mark, if you say you take the risk, like say that, you know, you would have moved your family out here to Colorado. And then it was really, I mean, clearly it was amazing because people like myself were in the church. But I mean, had it not (laughs) been that way, what if it would have been a bust? Like, what does someone do where maybe they really not only change jobs, maybe they make a career change. Mm -hmm. They go back to school to do something and they're like, why did I do this? How do they trust God to know what next steps are in that? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to realize the risk is real. Mm -hmm. Of course, I still say there's a risk in not making a decision. Like, I have no idea what would have happened if we had stayed. And um, because you just don't have all those variables. But the, the risk is real. And I think also there can be a mistake in assuming that if things did not work out well, you missed God's will. That's not necessarily true. This comes as a shock to some people. You can be in the middle of God's will and have things go badly. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so again, the question is, am I trusting that God care for me in the circumstances or am I trusting that God work out the circumstances the way that I want? Mm-hmm. The risk was very real because as we were considering moving here, I'd had known several people who made similar transitions. Uh, one pastor lasted two years, another lasted three years, another lasted seven months. Mm-hmm. So we knew the chance that it might not work out, but that, that's not the point. The question is, am I going to trust God enough to care for me that even if this fails, he's still going to care for me? I think, I think that's one reason oftentimes we're afraid to take risk is because we're looking for that guarantee of success instead of looking to our Heavenly Father to care for us no matter what. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that could happen is I would have failed as the pastor, lost my job, but I have a Father in Heaven who still loves me and cares for me. And as long as I trust that, I can take risk, and I can even experience failure and still be okay. Yeah, that's good. It's funny. It just made me think of, I was reading something by Paul Tripp this morning, and he's been on the show, um, where he was talking about discipline, God's discipline. And I think we often think of God's discipline as like him smacking us upside mm-hmm. the head or just something horrifying, you know, or whatever. But sometimes it's just that directing, redirecting, pruning, kind of all mm-hmm. for our good. And right. so we take it often as a very bad thing when really it's a course correction. It's something that you know, seems in the end, much milder and much better for our ultimate good than we would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Okay. Well, let's talk. We have to talk a little bit here about um, your latest transition, mm-hmm. which is functionally out of a pastorate mm-hmm. into a leadership role within the missions, like I said, the missions um, arm of a denomination. Totally different job description, right. totally different scene as far as how you do your job. In fact, I think much of it you do remotely mm-hmm. in the, on the regular. Um, so how weird is that? Like what, <laughs> what have been some of the hardest parts of the transition and what have been some ways that God's really shown up? Sure. So, um, you know, many of your listeners probably in the same boat. So now I'm working remotely. I'm at home. I'm in my basement on Zoom a lot of times. And so that is uh, as a new thing, whereas I'm used to being around people all the time. Now, I still do go out and meet with people and speak and do different things like that. But but uh, but a lot of it's in the basement and, and a lot of it is behind the scenes. And um, but but what's in common is it is my desire to see, and I think as all Christians, our desire to see the kingdom of God flourish. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas before I was on, I would say more of a front lines role, teaching, discipling people, meeting with them. I'm now helping other people 
do those very things. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I know that you, um, and maybe you want to speak to this a little bit. I remember when you were pastoring, you talking about a very specific passion for world missions Mm -hmm. and what that looked like and even wanting local churches to much more so get involved in that. And now you get to be a little more hands-on in making Mm -hmm. that happen. Yeah, hands-on in the sense that I'm not actually doing the global mission work, but I'm trying to find people who will go and connect, you know, connecting people and churches to what the need is overseas. And as you know, the need is is great. Um, I love our city of Colorado Springs. think it's great. Hope we continue to minister here. But we've got lots of churches, lots of Christians. Same thing can be said of Orlando, where I came from, even Denver, uh, you know, L.A., uh, Baku. Uh, they just don't have enough churches, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, and Jesus' mission is all the world, all the nations. And so um, so being able to be a part of that, even though I don't get to do directly the teaching and discipling, to see that work happen is, is very fulfilling. Yeah. Have there been any moments where you've kind of felt like uh, either either like a sense of disappointment or kind of like a loss of certain roles or responsibilities you had? And if so, what have you done to kind of like fill that, you know, or, mm-hmm. or meet that? Because I think there's a lot of, you know, we talk about just regular job kind of stuff where it's like, if you're not doing, you might have something you're specifically super into or very passionate about. And that might be a great way to do a side gig or to have a hobby right. that you, you know, wh- how, what does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, one of the things you just uh, stand up on a platform yeah, once in a while and start talking right, in, right, in the thin I air. Start preaching in the uh, No, uh-huh. it's. Uh, uh, I think for, for me, it, yeah, it, part is I do have to see, even though I'm not on the front line, so to speak, I'm part of the mission, and so uh, you know, connecting those dots is very important to me to say, you know, the role I'm playing here is valuable because we do need these workers overseas. But the other part is I then do get to do as you say, sort of side gigs. I'll be preaching different churches, filling in pulpits, speaking on missions. Uh, right now we're doing a lot of premarital counseling still, so there are a lot of the other pastoral duties we still get to engage in. Cool. What um, would you say, Mark, are, could you identify a couple of the common mistakes that you feel young adults make maybe when they're walking through a big transition or something they either don't think of or they jump the gun on or just what are a couple things they should be thinking about? Oh, uh, probably a few things. One is, again, I think waiting to be certain. And again, this varies with personality types, but mm-hmm. some people want to have all their bases covered. And again, your, your, your brain is only so big. You don't know the future. You don't know uh, what pandemics are going to be coming down. I mean, you just cannot predict. So that certainty is, uh, I think, trusting God. Uh, and then the second was along with that, trusting God, but while you're searching your motives. Now, as we pray and ask for for wisdom, we, I mean, we ask God for things and we pray. God doesn't promise to give us whatever we want, but when we pray according to his will, when we're praying not for our own self-interest. And so I think a lot of times people looking for careers and their transitions for find something that's going to be self-fulfilling and make them complete. I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad question. I just don't think it's the first question. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is this transition, am I seeking to do it for the glory of God or is it just, I want a better life? Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Noble wrote a book recently called You Are Not Your Own. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, a lot of us uh, think that we belong to ourselves. And so we look at our life as a, simply a way for self-fulfillment. Well, we're Christians. We've been bought with a price. Mm-hmm. Are you looking, making these decisions to say, how can I glorify God with my life? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a fundamental question we need to be asking. 
if you're seeking only self-fulfillment, I think you're going to find yourself pretty empty. Yeah. Yeah. And even if, um, and again, this is because this is what we're taught by every like career counselor out there and whatnot, that it has to be some kind of directional trajectory of like, you know, you don't take an opportunity unless it's more money, it's better opportunity, you have more influence you have. And really, that might not be specifically what God's calling you to. It might look totally, totally different. I have a couple, in fact, my dad always said he was on a reverse career trajectory. Like <laughs> He started doing what he loved most. He was a missionary in the Philippines. Then he pastored and his last job post-retirement, but was like, well, he was delivering meals on wheels. And then he was a nursing home chaplain for a mm-hmm. while and he absolutely loved it. But he always said, yeah, I can't just look at my jobs on paper. Right. For sure. Yeah, and I think that's oftentimes we look at that. I think, too, young people a lot of times will look at jobs thinking what's providing the most satisfaction now instead of thinking long term. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we know that your job at 22 is not what you want it to be at 50. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, um, you know, thinking about those things, too, is not going after the money. I think it, if you go for a job just for the money, you're going to end up being dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cotton, uh, early American pastor, said there are kind of three things we should look for as we look at jobs. Uh, one is, is it not just for my own good, but is it for the public good? And if you can't answer that question, is my career doing something good for other people? That's a big uh, fatal flaw, but that should be one thing you look at. Secondly, of course, am I gifted for it? Um, you know, uh, I, I would like to be a uh, worship leader, but if you've heard me <laughs> sing, that wouldn't work. And uh, number three, do I believe I'm called to it by God? And that's that internal sense the Holy Spirit is leading me. And I think, again, oftentimes we short-circuit the process. What do I want to do? What's going to make me fulfilled now? And again, I'm not sure that's a, a good place to start. Yeah. Okay, so final question, a little bit of a tangent, but something that I think is in your wheelhouse as well. The whole concept of transition when it comes to worshiping with other believers and Mm. churches, and I know a lot of us have been discouraged coming out of the pandemic of feeling like, my church just isn't what it was, and how come people aren't returning, and why are people still fighting about stuff? And so a lot of young adults will say, well, you know, I tried out this church, you know, and I did it for three weeks, but I didn't like it. And so I'm going to move on. And what what does that look like? What would be your advice to a young adult who maybe is wondering, you know, it could be they're in a new area, so they're Mm -hmm. just looking for churches or whatever. But that whole idea of like questions to ask yourself, if you think you might be considering um, changing your church or whatever, what to keep in mind? Okay. One, as you're thinking about that and you're discouraged about your church, my guess is your pastor probably is too. He's not (laughs) clueless. Um, In fact, I've never talked to so many discouraged pastors ever in my ministry time. And uh, so the other, I'd say, don't be careful about bailing too soon. Uh, um, This is is a tough time. I mean, churches have been torn about masks, vaccines, uh, everything. And, uh, and we don't know the status of it. So I'd say first, uh, you know, bloom where you're planted, see if you can make a difference where you are, um, you know, in building that community and, and, and rallying other people with you. But if for some reason you feel like I just cannot stay here, you know, um, you know, heresies being taught or something like that, then I think you do need to look for, you know, a, ch- a church that's preaching the word and, um, and is, is, is on mission with God. Uh, church is not in order, but a church is seeking to make a difference in its community and its world. But um, ultimately, you know, when you become part of a church, you're joining the business to serve the world. The, the purpose of the church does not exist to serve you. The purpose of joining the church is so that you together can be uh, united in God's mission. And so, again, 
uh, if you approach a church like a consumer, uh, then you're going to be changing churches pretty regularly. You know, when a better church comes around, just like a ah, better restaurant, better grocery store, better this, I'd say first try and commit where you are. Um, mm-hmm. But for the first time in our lives, since I'm no longer a pastor, Trish and I had to decide about where we were going to worship. So we, I do understand mm-hmm. you're looking for a place where you can fit, where you can develop friends, where you can develop community, and that's important too. Yeah, and it takes work, and it, it takes time. It takes <laughs> time. It's not going to happen. I think uh, people coming out of college think they're going to have friendships like they had in college yeah. automatically. And, you know, uh, once you're, you're in your mid-20s and 30s, uh, relationships just take a lot of work and take a lot longer time to develop. All right, folks. Mark Bates, Senior Director of U.S. Operations for Mission to the World. Thanks so much, Mark, for joining us. Hey, thank you, Lisa. Good to be here. You hold my every moment. You call my raging sea. You walk with me. As we finish out the show, we always open up our inbox, and I have uh, the chance uh, yet again, actually I did last week too, to answer this week's inbox question. And this is good because it's kind of a dating one, and it's one that I definitely have had to deal with myself. So um, one of our listeners said, I just started dating a girl, and I'm wondering how much time is healthy for us to be spending together. She wants to hang out all the time, but it's really still early in the relationship. Also, our work schedules are so different that it's difficult to make time for each other. Any advice on how to handle this? Okay, this is a great question because I think, first of all, I want to applaud you for your foresight in even addressing this kind of from the get-go because a lot of people don't and they kind of just, you know, a relationship hits them like the flu and all of a sudden they don't have anything established as far as schedules or boundaries or expectations of like, how much time are we going to spend together? And it can get all weird. And so um, I I think that you going after this is very wise uh, and to have a conversation with the girl that you're dating about this. And so let me just give you a couple parameters. Um, First off, and this is something I often share with people who have like met online or are dating online is like, 
yeah, still consider whatever time you are spending together a date. Okay. So it's, you know, all of a sudden your time can get cannibalized and you can start dropping other relationships, dropping other uh, responsibilities, other circles of friends that you have and and obligations that you have. And it can happen kind of sneakily at first. So you really got to watch it. So I always say, you know, you might want to establish, especially early on in a relationship, just like a date night or something where you actually are going on dates. And I know that sounds like super 1950s, but you know what? It worked in the 1950s for a reason. It just sets up expectations. It gives structure to a relationship. It gives kind of that parameter of even some boundaries of like, we're going to go out and we're going to do something and we're going to plan something. And it's going to, you know, again, this is going to solve a lot of your issues around around boundaries and, and whatnot. Let's have it be public. Let's come up with something creative. And so doing that, I know in one relationship I was in, we kind of did that. We picked a weekend night and that was our time to hang out. And then it freed up the rest of the week for us to uh, stay on top of our other commitments, our other relationships. It didn't have me bailing out a Bible study. It didn't have me bailing out of my other friendships or just, you know, finding this guy and staring, you know, into his eyes for a week uh, at a time. So definitely schedule that time and communicate this to the girl that you're dating because she might think like, oh, that's not enough time. Okay, so you want to do that. And then as, you know, as as things um, progress and if you become more exclusive or it moves towards engagement, then obviously you're going to adjust that timeline and those expectations. The other thing, though, that is sneakier and really that you should have a conversation about is the whole, like, what do you do with the rest of your time, like when you're not together? So this is where you can get in incessant text trails you could be, you know, just talking online. You could be, I, I mean, again, and, and some of that is fine. It's it's connecting and whatnot. But does this person need to be in every detail of your day? No, probably not. And so every single meme that you see, you don't need to send to this girl and vice versa. <laughs> every single conversation you have with a coworker, you don't have to invite her into that. And so that's an expectation and a conversation to set up and have as well. Because a lot of times when you get into text trails that just go on and on, or you're all of a sudden just sharing every detail of your life, it's hard really to set those boundaries and to back off of that and kind of get back into a a more rhythm, uh, a structured rhythm of how you're going to do your day and how you're going to do your relationship. Because it's also a lot easier, whether it's texting or phone calls or whatever, to give up a lot more emotional capital uh, in that sense as well. So you can go really deep, really quickly, and then you're both going to be like, whoa, what does this mean? Where are we with this? And so, um, I would say, again, sit down, but you want to have an honest, respectful conversation about this. So sit down with the girl you're dating, um, establish that it's not like you're trying to be avoidant or you don't care about spending time with her, but you just want to make sure that you are protecting time for other things that you have in your life. And then have those date nights where you really can look forward to that, have a little boundary on conversations, you know, like we're not going to text late into the night, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. Um, We're not going to be each other's go-to person for every single thing. And I think you'll be really off on the right foot for setting a healthy pattern uh, that can take you uh, into the months ahead and wherever this relationship goes. So thank you so much for your question. I hope that lends a little bit of um, or a few ideas to you as far as where this can go and uh, you can move forward confidently in that. 
Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, we would love it. Again, I've, I've said this a couple times um, in the new year now, but hey, we're still kind of in the new year. You know, it's just early March. Um, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as we kick off the year and people are looking for new shows to listen to, your positive review on Apple Podcasts is what so many people go to to decide, hey, do I want to give this show a chance? And so we would super appreciate it if you'd be willing to do that for us. And of course, you know, find us on social and let us know what you think as well, because we love to hear from you. So otherwise, I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.